Welcome to the Ankler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Ankler here in New York City on the afternoon of Thursday, October 19th. As always, joined by Elaine Lowe and Richard Rushfield in Los Angeles. Richard, who will now be dressing up as Ken for Halloween, since uh, Ryan Gosling apparently can't do it for the for the SAG announcement today, Richard. You doing a Zaza solid there to get the Barbie word out, or what's going on? Well, in support of SAG, I'm only going to dress as generic creatures uh, this time. So I'm just going <laughs> to oh. I'm just I'm just going to be wearing the sheet over my head and being a ghost, <laughs> lest I inadvertently promote uh, a studio property. Uh, that's that's uh, Casper the ghost. Uh, sorry, Richard, you can't do that either. So you have to figure oh. something else out. Yep. Yeah, no. All right. It's universal property. Maybe I'll just go as a uh, a bottle of ketchup. <laughs> I think I think uh, CPG products are still in the clear, so I don't know. All right. okay. uh, Elaine, what's going on here exactly uh, with this Halloween thing? So SAG put out a notice to its membership today saying that you cannot, should not dress up as any character from a TV show or film, basically any kind of struck content, right? So if it's an animated TV show, feel free to dress up as your favorite Ninja oh. Turtle, I guess, but nice. no Barbie, no Ken, uh, none of your favorite Marvel characters, none of that this year. Have they put out uh, notices that we can't use phrases like, we'll need a bigger boat, or frankly, my dear, <laughs> I, I don't give a damn, or uh, are we just sticking to costumes at this point? Well, I think those would sound pretty weird coming from a ketchup bottle. That's, That's true. true. That is a good point. A good point. <laughs> well, Landy, you can finally go as Bluey then. That's good. So congratulations there. <laughs> That'll be I'm sure your, your kids will Life-long love that. Lifelong dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll be a big hit. I'm telling you. Kids will remember that for years. Anyway, uh, going on this week, of course, earnings season started with Netflix. Uh, and Elena, as you can tell by Richard's face paint. Uh, Richard, you can remove that face paint between the calls. You know, right? You don't have to keep that on all week. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm keeping the spirit alive. <laughs> keep earning really calls up. forever. You got three weeks to go, so hope you got more more in the <laughs> jar there. Uh, Lena, you haven't really discussed that yet. We'll dive into to the Netflix numbers a bit there too. We've got the return of Scorsese to the big screen in a major A list movie for uh, the, it's been about ten years since Wolf of Wall Street, which is his last Leo movie. He had the Adam Driver movie in 2016, but I didn't realize that. I looked that up this week. So his big return to the screen, plus Apple's big debut uh, with a wide release with Paramount, uh, which dovetails quite well with something you uh, put out this week, Richard. We'll dive into that as well. And uh, I talked with Sahil Patel from The Information earlier today. He had two pretty big pieces on kind of the ever-increasingly important uh, streaming ad business, uh, specifically at Netflix and Amazon, which we dove into. So we'll get into that as well. But Elaine, I guess, you know, first, uh, the strike, no real, uh, obviously, they're not back at the table, anything like that at this point. But two kind of uh, developments to note, at least. Uh, one involving George Clooney giving money back to the AMPTP or something. I, I didn't quite, I, have, I saw a headline, I didn't quite get the grasp on this yet. So f- fill me in if you would. So basically, Clooney and a bunch of other Hollywood stars brought this proposal of their own making to sag after leadership saying, hey, why don't you remove the cap on dues that we pay, uh, you know, for basically members who earn a lot. Uh, I think the cap is around like a million dollars right now at earnings. And they're saying, well, why don't you remove the cap? And then, you know, we would be able to uh, pay more in dues and and help to, to bolster the funds that SAG has. And, you know, that's something that they talked to leadership about. And then leadership took that to the negotiating committee. And I think the general reaction has been broadly, uh, you know, not just within leadership, but I think the, the, the broader reaction has been like, oh, well, that's like a nice thought. But also the whole point of the strike is that we're asking for what we feel is owed to us from the studios and from, you know, not not from within our own membership. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Richard, you uh, for or against this or uh, where do you stand on this one? Sure. If George Clooney wants to give a, g- a bigger percent of his earnings to the the health fund, let him do it. I wonder how many of his fellow uh, seven plus figure actors he's brought this up with and uh, whether that what sort of conversations at the Clooney Thanksgiving table, if that might get a little awkward, but uh, I support his uh, enthusiasm. Getting creative at this point, for sure. But outside of that, Sean, like you said, no real updates on the strike front right now. SAG after members back on the picket lines. The AMPTP, as far as I'm aware, has not reached back out since uh, they pulled out of the talks last week. So we are continuing to be at this standstill. And it's October, mid-October now, and we're approaching 100 days of the SAG strike on Saturday. Yeah, I remember that burst of optimism when when the writer's strike ended. Everyone said, oh, now the, now the actors will come and just... Probably finish it next week. They can just take the writer's thing and get it done, and a week or so we'll all be back. I don't now, know why anybody said that to begin with. That was silly. Yeah, it's now three weeks later, and it's nowhere even close to being. You know, uh, now it's end of year. Is the like the now that's that's the popular thinking now? It seems like so. Yeah, exactly. Everybody's uh, everybody's an expert. But uh, Ted Sarandos did make some more public comments this week, Elaine, on the earnings call. Nothing uh, really stood out to me per se, but anything on the on the Netflix call on your end. No, I, I mean, I think we're this is the first round of earnings calls where I think we're really going to be expecting to hear any kind of commentary on the strikes. Right. And their impact. Yeah. What I thought was slightly more interesting were his comments on data transparency and, and sort of like, oh, like we're all for streaming transparency. But, you know, we don't really want to release all these metrics to our creators because they don't want these metrics yeah. because they don't want to be judged by like overnight numbers or sort of these traditional things, which I was like, that's an interesting take. I haven't heard that one before. Uh, <laughs> I wouldn't call it revisionist history, but I mean, it's definitely a point of view that I'm like, well, that's one way I guess you could put that. Um, when, when, when they started, there was kind of doing this, there was kind of this momentary, oh yeah, it's kind of nice not to have to worry about that. It was, it was, you know, I, I wouldn't say Hollywood rushed to, uh, get away from the numbers but it was it was a momentary like oh that's nice and i'm sure when ted was handing you a check you were looking for nice things to say to him uh, in exchange for you know 200 million dollars to make a little little passion project but yeah i can't say that's the big sentiment these days no every showrunner or producer or writer i've ever spoken to who has been craving more information just as essentially like we don't get very many numbers we get like some broad comparisons but it would be great to actually know how things perform and i mean that's not exclusive to netflix either that's basically any creator for any streamer these days well it also goes against netflix has been saying for months now we do give out information and we're going to give out more information we're going to be ted said it in this call didn't he that we are the most transparent so to be uh, fair i mean you know they've got their top 10 and so you do have more information than than other streamers and they're very they're much more practiced at this than others i mean what's your what's your take sean yeah i mean i do the the netflix film chart every week that for films you can have a pretty good hand on which films are doing well, you know, you don't know how poorly poor films are doing, but you can tell what the hits are. I can give a pretty with a pretty good certainty on that. But you know, he's kind of uh, <laughs> equating two things that aren't exactly in the same conversation. Where it's like, yes, it's nice not to have to rely on Nielsen ratings to be successful. That doesn't mean I don't want to know my numbers. Like, there's those are not the two, the two things don't equate. Uh, as in the, interpreting that as, oh, I don't want to know, you know what the, how my show's doing. It's more that, oh, it's nice to know that a Nielsen overnight won't cancel my show after three episodes. You know, it's a, a, a kind of a two different 
lens of a conversation that he kind of brought together in a way that I was like, I don't, that's interesting, but I guess you could kind of make that assumption. But, but the bottom line is more transparency from Netflix is what's been promised. Yeah. And he's just saying, you know, I think he's actually correct in a sense. I mean, the streaming move, world's going to move toward more numbers. Like you just, you know, in terms of what it is, it, it is now, it, which is not high. And he's right. Netflix does the only people that releases this list every week. No one, I mean, Disney's now started as of September to drop a few numbers on a few projects for the first five days and first three days, but there's no weekly chart. There's nothing along those lines. And certainly Max, Peacock, and Paramount, they just give you the most watched documentary in September 3rd. It's like, there's you know, there's no real context for anything. So um, he's correct in that sense. But a lot of the forces at play in the industry, namely advertising tiers and advertising come, coming back, this great return of the advertising business will just naturally necessitate a bit more information coming out, whether that becomes public or not. So I think he's right in this. It's going to move in that direction. How much is a valid question. And is that just US or is that global or you know what that might be? So and when, to your point, Elaine, is a, you know, in general, it's moving in that direction. Is that this year? Is it in three years? You know, who knows? Yeah, but. but you're right. It is inevitable, especially with the ad tier. You you are going to have to release some of that information in order to attract advertisers. And honestly, from a consumer perspective as well, I think it's nice to have a top 10. It's nice to see what's popular yeah. because then it's like, okay, yeah, other people are watching this thing. I'll watch this thing too. I mean, it becomes a really great marketing tool. It can be, yeah. I mean, you have to take the hits with the duds. It's that's part, you know, it's always the way with Nielsen's, all the way, the way with the box office. But um, it could be, yeah, a real potent thing to be, a, again, it just touches a little bit of what you wrote this week, Richard, but, you know, be a part of something, be a part of a phenomenon where, as of now, it's a little, yeah, be here because word of mouth is important, but it's an additional lever or, or tool, and as you say, to kind of, you know, to get that your show talked about, that that's a real metric. So like Suits, it's like Suits was talked about because we had the numbers from Nielsen. That wasn't being talked about because Nielsen chart comes out a month after the thing starts. So for a month, Suits was essentially on Netflix doing very well, and no one was talking about it. So the Nielsen chart made it, you know, that conversation point. People were watching it, but necessarily, people weren't necessarily talking about it until that Nielsen chart came out. Well, what strikes me overall with this call is every other studio, legacy studios, uh, I mean, these these calls seem to be like, well, the you know, it, it, it's a minor tear in our, our hull and the water's up to the third deck, but we're very confident it's never going to reach the fifth deck. So keep eating dinner, everybody. We're doing fine here. And... Netflix, there's question marks, there's issues, but by and large, it's a, a fairly cheery picture. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, there's very, I, you know, did the breakdown in the wake up this week, but generally there's not, I mean, the ad tier, as we know, is, has not gone exactly how they hoped. But again, they were never in the ad business as of a year ago. So the first year of anything is going to be a little rough, but yeah. subscribers were, you know, almost twice as much as they predicted. And, you know, revenue's on point. They're making over $1.5 billion in profits in three months, Richard, you know? And what a 16% next day pop in the stock too, so... Investors are happy. And all these things that have brought Hollywood to its knees other, otherwise, the pandemic and the strike and those other things, they just waltz right through and with a smile on their face. I mean, the strike, you know, Elaine, I mean, outside of Ted's comments about the negotiations, there was no comment still here. We're talking end of October of like, hey, you know, we're not shooting or we're going to maybe see a little slowdown in production or we're maybe moving some things. Like you know, there was nothing. It's a hint that anything other than business as usual on Netflix. 
No, although in an earnings call, I find that t- things generally tend to have a certain <laughs> lens on them. A lot of All right, bullishness. my bar may be a little of honesty. <laughs> Great maybe quarter, a little too guys. High for some. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. You're you're right, you're right. But there was not, I mean, you know, nothing about it. Yeah, but the investors aren't looking at this and saying, oh my God, they're they're about to fall off a cliff from their lack of production right, here. Right. There's no alarms being sounded anywhere in the Netflix world there. But there's a curious thing, Elaine, and I didn't really see this mentioned too much out in the coverage of it. So they Netflix generally spends $17 billion a year on content, Richard's uh, favorite category in Hollywood. <laughs> Everything from TV movies, docuseries, documentaries, uh, Chris Rock specials, etc. They were tracking, planning at the start of the year. They do annual planning to spend $17 billion this year. And they came in and said, essentially, we're only going to spend $13 billion this year. Again, pretty much because of the stop in U.S. production most of that's going to stock buybacks and, uh, you know, <laughs> and of course, uh, employee bonuses. And next year, they said, we're still going to spend $17 billion. So what this strike is, I mean, effectively done with, the, with those numbers is sucked $4 billion out of production spend out of Netflix this year. And it didn't sound like they were going to have to, like, you know, make up for it to f- refill the pipeline next year, maybe add in. $2 billion next year to offset it, which is really, I don't know, it's, I found it very curious and they didn't really speak about it, but it's like the math there. I'm like, I don't know, it just struck me as a little, a little odd. You know, $13 billion is still a staggering amount. So oh, I, sure. That's also global. That's not, you know, U.S., but yeah. So yeah. Circa, circa seven, eight years ago, that that's an unbelievable amount for one company to be spending on content. But $4 billion less than you were planning, Richard, that's a Decent percentage. That's a you know, twenty almost twenty five percent hit for what uh, what you were spending. I think the nearest comp when we're looking at this is basically this is a one off historical circumstance, right? Much like the pandemic, and we saw how pandemic right. impacted production costs. It's like yes, it saved everybody money, but it's a one off thing. Um, and assuming when the SAG strike comes to an end that there won't be any further strike, and who's to say, given that IATSE has a contract coming up next year, so we don't know if this will be a repeat occurrence. But essentially, yeah, it's a, it's a one-off thing, and then it's a resumption of normal levels, which is why I think when you're looking at it from an investor's point of view, it's it's sort of like, okay, but long-term, what's actually the impact here? And it's like... No, it's it's not something that's going to that's going to impact your cash flow like even in the medium term necessarily. And then when it comes to the content pullback when we're talking about like that lack of spend on production, I mean all anybody's been talking about these days is the big contraction that we're going to be seeing that had already started before the strikes that is going to be continuing through the strikes and that's generally going to translate into less peak TV. We talked about this last week. So that all it all kind of tracks I feel like, right? Yeah, I just hadn't heard that and they didn't say that they that Netflix would also be maybe cutting back a little bit. Like, that's the thing where I'm like, you know, that wasn't stated. And like, yeah. you're exactly right. I mean, industry, like if it was to Disney, I'd be like, yeah, they're definitely not spending what they were going to plan. Nope, they've said that. You know, Netflix has not given any language to that and they didn't say it this time. And again, I'm just interpreting a $4 billion differential. I mean, like, there's $4 billion here that was not spent this year that is not, not going to be spent next year on you know to make up for anything. So it's just like that's essentially money that's not going to crews, not going to talent, not going to directors, and it's going essentially to shareholders and then the form of stock buybacks on the whole, um, which they doubled their authorization for stock buybacks in this quarter uh, going forward to $10 billion. So anyway, we'll see if any of that shakes out. But overall, Richard, you're right. They are doing very well, firing on all cylinders. The password cracked down a lane. Apparently working. Apparently working pretty well. The, the U.S. had its largest quarter of growth since the first quarter of the pandemic, uh, Q2 2020. So that is having its intended effect. Greg Peters, co-CEO, said that essentially, you know, he was asked, is this kind of a one-time thing and it moves on? He's like, we haven't 
you know, what do you say? Intervened was the word he uses in that crackdown. <laughs> that crackdown, Elaine, it's an intervention. So they have it. <laughs> Where all your friends get together at your apartment and are <laughs> yeah, like, Steve, a, you really <laughs> got to stop using our yeah, Netflix pay, password. Yeah, exactly. I'd <laughs> uh, love to see that SNL sketch. But he said that essentially they haven't done that to all the accounts that I guess will qualify uh, mm-hmm. to, to do that. So they ex- will extend into several quarters in, in 2024, he said. So. This boom may uh, keep going, and they're projecting another, you know, at least around nine million uh, subscriber ads in, in Q4 as well. So we'll see what the subscriber ads are at the other streamers, but they're nowhere near nine, you know, nine million in, in the quarter. I'm, I'm rather certain. So uh, Netflix is still finding the juice to keep the growth going, um, yeah. for sure. And, and the bottom line here is, uh, you know, whether they have an up quarter or down quarter, they have become the default streaming service. And nobody's going to threaten them. All the other companies are no longer in a position to even consider threatening them at this point. So they have won the streaming war. I mean, I feel like whenever people talk about Netflix or any kind of headwinds that they face, the comment after the obstacle is always, yeah, but they're Netflix, they'll figure it out. And I don't think that has changed (laughs) too much, even after this year in the summer of strikes and everything else going on with the streaming wars and the massive consolidation. Like it almost feels like the, a lot of the turmoil is happening elsewhere. Yeah. But even with the ad tier, which they've said needs a lot of work, it is, but dot, 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 Elaine, exactly right. They'll figure it out as they go along, you know, is kind of the underlying sentiment there. Not that, oh, it's a disaster and it's going to be go down as the worst idea in the history, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so. Uh, we'll always have Quickster, Elaine. That's uh, going to be literally just about to say. <laughs> <laughs> As the DVD rides off into the sunset. Uh, Quickster. Anyway, uh, Quickster. <laughs> when is there going to be like the vinyl revival in record? Uh, you know, when, oh. people, when people <laughs> stop going back to start going back to VHS tapes, and that's cool again to watch watch all your movies on VHS. An artisanal hobby. Yeah, exactly. I think we found your Halloween costume, Richard. Then goes the VHS cassette. There you go. See who knows what it is. <laughs> anyway, uh, next week, uh, earnings season kicks into higher gear. We've got uh, NBCU with the Comcast call on Thursday. Plus, we'll see what the effects of the uh, old Disney Charter standoff in early September had on Charter's business next Friday. And uh, where cord cutting stands in general with the uh, two largest TV providers in the U.S., plus the latest in YouTube revenue, looked at the effects of the uh, Spotify price hikes and more. So I'll be covering all that each day in the Wake Up newsletter. We'll be back in a moment. We're going to look at, Richard, why hits are going to be a lot more important in streaming going forward. Your ankler rule number one is we're going to have to fire that baby up and get the T-shirts printed. And a look at how the cinematic event of the weekend at theaters has gone from uh, Swift to Scorsese. You can't say Hollywood doesn't have range. Uh, We'll be back in a moment. All right, coming back to the movie theater business. Uh, Apple and their friends at Paramount are delivering Killers of the Flower Moon, which is tracking eh, about 20 to 25 million, uh, seems to be the range there. Apple already did theatrical a bit with Coda to a degree back in, I think, 2021, that was the year, and very limited releases with all their films. But this is their first big studio partnership, one of three they have lined up. They also have Sony and Napoleon coming out uh, Thanksgiving weekend. New trailer for that just dropped this week. And they have a uh, movie, Argyle, with uh, Universal coming out in February. That one's from Matthew Vaughn. But, you know, a Scorsese film, as I said, Scorsese hasn't had this big theatrical event, Richard, in, t- in 10 years. Well, the, uh, the, uh, the Irishman with... Uh... Well, yeah, but that wasn't... A, that was primarily a Netflix, wasn't it? You know, it was 
in some theaters, but that wasn't a theatrical go to the movies to see the new Scorsese movie event anywhere in the country on 3,600 screens, which is what, you know, what this is this weekend. So, um, you know, uh, this is a major filmmaker with a film back, you know, back in theaters with the help of, you know, $200 million from Apple. But you wrote a piece saying we need to start making more of these events again, Richard, but uh, to dive into what you, you looked at this week. I did. I, I talked about how films and TV exist in this media landscape that is just overwhelmed. And I talked about how the last week people were staring at screens like never before, like Hollywood would have dreamed in 1993 that they would be staring at screens. Like everywhere they go, look, and they, what they were looking at was uh, news from the Middle East, um, sports, and uh, stuff about Taylor Swift, essentially, uh, none of which comes from Hollywood or or Hollywood benefits from, except for someone helping keep keep movie theaters alive. So uh, to fight to fight another day, which is important, which is important. And I just uh, I made I made the point that it's a very crowded media landscape. Hollywood plays one role in it, an increasingly shrinking role in this media landscape. And you can no longer phone in any film. There's no longer a gentleman's C available for a movie release that we're, you can just <laughs> assume like you release this, you you do your sort of standard plug-in uh, marketing campaign and you know you'll at least make your your PA back and and it'll be it'll all be fine. There is no floor to how bad a release can go at this point. And anything has to fight for eyeballs. You have to fight to get attention. You have to fight uh you know either the world's attention or the intention of a specific niche or demographic. So at the beginning of this year uh, Elaine and I came back from Comic Con, and I CinemaCon, CinemaCon, CinemaCon. Yes, I, I don't yes. was not at Comic Con. Uh, <laughs> make that clear. But CinemaCon, and I myself was, you know, very impressed by all these. Look, they they've got Fast and Furious Part Nine, Part One is coming out, and all the all the, all these installments of Mission Impossible. Um, and you know, we've gone through the summer movies that we predicted would succeed, and nearly all the ones that we we saw as winners failed. And we've gotten to a point where the sort of safe bet on another thing that looks exactly like 2,000 things that have been shoved down everybody's throat is no longer safe because people have seen so much of it. And they're not just, they're not just saying it's Friday night, let's go to the movies while it's playing this weekend. You have to Make them uh, see that this is the thing they have to they have to go to. This is a special thing that they have to motivate themselves. And I, I, I reference four companies or, or or businesses that are are actually doing that. There, first of all, Taylor Swift. I talked about Netflix. How they have this events business now, and they're opening Netflix houses. Elaine, Elaine's been to one, right? Elaine, you were at the Bridgerton uh, event at some point in your life. Oh yes, and I had a friend who actually designed and made an entire Regency era dress for me. He's very into it. <laughs> wow. See, yeah. Richard, Commitment. there you go. Well, Case in point, right here. I, I was at. I was, of course, at the One Piece fan event here that they had on Santa Monica Pier, oh. and they had many. You know, thousands of fans, I think, were there for this drone show. They showed the uh, first two episodes, and then they, they had this drone show that was like nothing you've ever seen. Uh, that they, And they took us around the world, and they did uh, they did a couple dozen of these giant events uh, around the world. And now they're, they are opening these permanent houses, which, you know, be silly tie-ins or whatever. But, hey, it's a company that is assertive, is confident in what they have, and they're they're looking for different ways to promote it and get out there. Uh, the third one was the sphere, yeah, which I thought sounded like the dumbest thing anybody had ever uh, <laughs> thought up when they came up with it. A big TV screen that wraps around you, terrific. 
but having seen it in action looks like maybe the coolest thing that's been constructed for a long time. And it's this, this giant thing that U2 just announced a bunch of new dates that they're going to do there. And I think this is set to become a huge destination venue for a while now. And the fourth one was Oppenheimer, which it was a period film about nuclear f- physicists, 95% of which is them just talking to each other with tense music behind them. And, yeah. you know, this would have been the one, Christopher Nolan aside, that you would have said, okay, there's really no place for this, no precedent for this in our culture. And uh, Universal made this an event and made this a point in time to the point of they put countdown clocks to it in movie lobbies all over the country. And it made it, made it something you have to see. Uh, you know, the, the, the Barbenheimer meme gave it a little gas, but I don't think that the hundreds of millions that it made were people that just wanted to have a funny meme saying they saw Barbie and uh, and Oppenheimer back to back. I think that was uh, a bigger phenomenon. So it's just, you know, you can still do it, but it is hard. You can't phone it in and you have to be original. And back to originality, Elaine. So the, the tracking, uh, just case in point again, Richard here, the tracking on uh, Five Nights at Freddy's, which is the next Blumhouse movie coming out next Friday uh, from Jason Blum. No big actor names of note, but that film is tracking at uh, a $40 million opening. Uh, and that one's on Peacock day and date, which would be about a third over what the exorcist, the known IP <laughs> opened to a few weeks ago. So again, like just having that fresh idea, Richard, that, that no one's seen before and, you know, and that, that a generation can also own Richard, you know, these kinds of things where you don't want to be your father's uh, franchise or whatever it might be. It's, you know, th- there's a there's a hunger for that, I think, Elaine, to a sense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I was finally aware of Five Nights at Freddy because I, I finally oh. saw Oppenheimer last weekend. A little a little late, a <laughs> little later than they everyone else. They finally got to her, Richard. They finally got to her. There you go. And it was nothing <laughs> to do with Barbenheimer. So there you go. To Richard, your point exactly. People went just to go see that movie. What did you, did you well, what's your review, Elaine? I, you know, please enlighten us. It's very long. It was good. <laughs> no, quite I, a rave, Elaine. Quite a rave. <laughs> exactly. No, I mean, I look, I'll, I'll happily stare at Killian Murphy for, for three hours anytime. So <laughs> sometimes it's just that, Richard. There you go. That gets you, mm-hmm. gets you in the door. So, uh, yeah. So you can read the piece over at theankler.com. But yes, uh, back to events uh, and making big cultural moments is something to really kind of keep in mind once. Of course, everyone can go out and promote them, which hopefully will happen sooner than later. So just a final note here, uh, Richard, before we get to my interview with, with Sahil Patel, back to that ankle rule number one, Richard, it's a business of hits is going to come back a lot stronger. And there's a lot of news around the ad tiers. We mentioned a little bit the Netflix and there's a lot of news around Amazon this week. Uh, who's turning Amazon Prime into an ad tier uh, in the first quarter? The whole thing, you know, so unless you want to pay an extra two to three bucks, I think it's three bucks, whatever it is. You're getting ads on Amazon Prime, and Amazon Prime is the service that, after YouTube and Netflix, is often number three on the Nielsen chart, which is only U.S. viewing uh, each month. But uh, no one knows how many streaming, uh, how many subscribers they have, but they have a lot of viewership. And certainly, the NFL is doing their numbers are up 26 percent this year so far on Thursday nights for for Amazon. So what this means, Richard, if uh, Hollywood's greater dependence upon advertising, what advertising needs is views. How do you get that? You have to have hits. You know, this this era of streaming being in the 2010s of just, uh, we don't know if this added subscribers or not, but uh, everybody seems happy with it and uh, we're on our way. The more you have advertising in the mix here, the more you have to have people watching your stuff, Richard. So hits are going to become ever more important here as we enter the, the mid-2020s. Yeah, it, this is... Uh... 
we can talk about the password crackdowns and the ad, and the, the ad tiers and everything else and the the content spent. I mean, you know, for Netflix, you can spend seventeen billion and not have a single hit, and and then your your quarter looks starts to look really bad. Or you can spend seventeen billion and come up with a lot of hits, and it it looks very different. Or you know, Peacock could come out tomorrow and well, suddenly have a show that the entire world wants to watch, and suddenly we're talking a very different way about Peacock. Exactly. Exactly. Then if there's, you know, Peacock can spend $4 billion and still get the two hits that, you know, turn the conversation around. So, you know, it definitely uh, is going to be a, a ever-increasing factor. And back to Elaine about transparency is like knowing what the hits are is going to be more important with this as well. So all topics uh, I dove further into uh, with Sahil Patel at the information, who's someone who talks to Madison Avenue quite a bit and how it intersects with all these topics we talk about here uh, and the effect upcoming on the streaming business, uh, from revenue to affecting series orders and to the big change on the horizon coming in 2024. So all that in a moment. Uh, We're going to take a quick break and be right back. So I'm here with uh, Sahil Patel, media reporter at The Information and someone who's uh, very dialed into the intersection of the advertising business and streaming in Hollywood. Uh, he's had two great pieces over the past week or so that I wanted to dive into, uh, as well as the larger advertising and streaming business at large. Your pieces were on two of our favorite players, uh, Netflix and Amazon, who are taking two very different approaches to the advertising business and streaming. First, welcome, Sahil. Thanks for making the time. Thanks for having me. So uh, advertising is the future of streaming now, right? Subscriptions, old news. Uh, advertising is the way to get us out of the age of multi-million dollar quarterly losses. Uh, that's the take now, right? Yeah, basically. You know, like just how TV figured out that both... Uh, Affiliate fees and advertising combined can build a really good business. The streamers are deciding yeah, that makes sense for us too. Yeah, and wait, we used to do that, didn't we? Knew we had yeah. advertising here a minute ago. I don't know where we put it, and it worked, and it worked. <laughs> we made a lot of money off of that, didn't we? <laughs> yeah, we had a whole like ad staff departments that were around that you know had nothing to do from 2016 to 2022. But anyway, they're still there and and and, and can be very busy in the near future, if not already. Let's just start with Netflix. They had their you know Q3 earnings last night. Uh, any reactions to the earnings call? The news that came out yesterday, last night, almost a. A total lack of, still lack of insight into this business pretty much a year into its existence of the ad tier. Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's been the same story uh, that they've repeated over uh, multiple earnings calls right now, right? Where this is not a material business, but they really do believe it can be. Uh, and they are determined to make it a big and, and meaningful business for the company. But it's not there yet. And they're going to be working hard to, to make that happen. But right now, not worth talking about it. <laughs> but they are talking a lot about it. Like, they're not, another right. thing is, like, it's, I mean, video games had a little bit of the, the earnings call at the end there with Greg Peters, but did not, you know, th- that one's kind of falls in that same category of not material enough to talk about, but the advertising aspect is getting a lot more focus and attention. So clearly that's a big priority for them. What does Netflix need to do here? You know, in, in your expert opinion, you're, you've been covering this for a long time and you've been tracking year one pretty closely. What needs to be achieved here for, for Netflix, do you think? Well, you know, they themselves have said it publicly and on numerous occasions. They need scale. They need enough people on the ad-supported tier that makes them a compelling buy for advertisers. There were a decent amount of advertisers who, you know, when Netflix launched this thing, wanted to be a part of it, which makes a ton of sense, right? I mean, it's Netflix. It's got Stranger Things. It's got Bridgerton. It's got these, like, big shows that people talk about. There is a coolness to being part of that experience as they finally open up that the, the streaming platform to advertising. But for a long-term business, you need to be able to demonstrate that you can reach 
a significant amount of people. That's what advertisers care about. And that requires people actually signing up for the ad-supported tier. That hasn't been happening uh, at the rate that, you know, they might have initially expected, but that's sort of the ambition. Like, they need to be able to show uh, a large number of subscribers, but not just subscribers, viewers, right? Because not every subscriber is going to be watching every single show on the platform. So that's the goal. That's what they have to figure out. One thing that a lot of people in the advertising community have kind of questioned is how they've gone about it in the first year in terms of actually promoting the tier, you know, actually driving people to to sign up for it. It doesn't look like, at least, you know, in the first year they have done that much or they've been at least very vocal or public about about drawing attention to it. That seems to be changing as they look to sort of accelerate this part of the business. But really, first and foremost, they just got to get users on that tier before this thing can become even close to the size that they they hope it could be. Yeah, and you know, to say Netflix was probably enthusiastic about entering advertising. I mean, for years they had said, you know, no advertising, and then you know they realized either they're leaving money on the table or this will be the future of our growth at some point. We need to get this going, and maybe those early months of this may have been some tension of, uh, well, don't advertise it too much, but uh, well, if you don't do that, then people don't know about it. You know, it's that kind of back and forth of what are you telling consumers to do to sign up, and uh, you know, even in the advertising now. The print on the, you know, $6.99 is much larger on the advertising I see around town or even on, on the commercials on TV. So when it first came out, when the, you know, the the Glass Onion sequel was going on, you know, it was very small print, you know, kind of small, smaller type of uh, $6.99 a month, right? It, it, it almost felt like they were trying to hide it. Like, oh, yeah, it exists, right. but yeah. like, you know, it's not something uh, that they want to draw too much attention to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, some of that is understandable. Like, to your sure. point, like, you know, for most of this company's history, they have been pretty... Uh, vocally resistant to advertising on the platform. And they make this 180 turn and decide that they're going to get into it and are very ambitious about how that's going to, uh, how that's going to be going forward. But whatever metaphor you want to use, right? Like it's hard to turn a ship of that size around so quickly. So some of that makes sense, but you can now kind of see it in terms of how they're at least drawing people's attention to to the ad-supported tier. Even, you know, you can include the pricing on that as well, you know, removing that middle basic tier that they had for new customers, right? So you have a greater disparity between the ad-supported and the ad-free. Logically, there might be people who might not want to pay $15.49 a month in the U.S. for it, but happy to pay seven bucks and get some ads. So, yeah. Yeah, totally. And uh, look, and to be fair, they were starting from scratch. They had no uh, interior structure or any kind of, you know, infrastructure there to, to build this out. So, you know, when you first launch this, it's let's get this up and running and make sure it's working correctly too. You don't want to right. be blaring it uh, off to the hills there. But you reported last week though that according to a, a person in the know, they probably only hit about half of their projections of what they were hoping for, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, from people I've spoken to, in terms of what they initially thought even the first year could go, there was a meaningful gap, about half in terms of ad sales revenue as well as subscribers. Uh, again, a little bit you can understand this is a new business for them, a new industry even. You know, how you might think it will go will not always happen to go that way, right? So right, right. Uh, I think there was a little bit of that. Advertising is not flipping a switch, right? There's an entire industry and an infrastructure that underpins this and has been around for a long time, even as itself kind of shifts towards streaming and away from traditional linear TV. So you can't just automatically assume that it's going to grow like like everything else sometimes grows, right? But that doesn't mean it won't, right? It's just that, you know, sometimes how you hoped it would kick off doesn't work out that way completely. Yeah. And it's even, it's a funny thing when you have a service where you're known as ad-free, 
And for now, for you know, almost 10 years, probably longer than that in terms of the streaming effort. And, you know, you just perceived by customers as not being and not having advertising, not having that even as an option. So getting over that hump to get people over even to the advertising side when they're just like, I'm used to my Netflix without ads. Either they don't want it or they're not aware of it. Like it's a bigger task than I think people think sometimes. Absolutely. I mean, you can't argue that being ad-free was kind of a core part of how you how people yeah, think about Netflix. Yeah, that was Netflix. a big selling point, yeah. Yeah, you pay however much you pay per month and you get all this television ad-free. Like that was core to the platform. Yep. So in kind of going in a different direction, that's going to take some time and it might not, and you're going to hit some hurdles along the way. Yeah, the amount of time it takes for the public to, for a message to sink in can uh, sometimes yeah. be a little underestimated, I think. But one other piece of, you know, big activity the, uh, at Netflix in that, in that business was they parted ways with their ad chief, Jeremy Gordon, uh, who came over from Snap and was there for uh, about a year. Someone with a lot of institutional advertising knowledge known throughout Madison Avenue. I'm sure uh, you knew Jeremy as mm -hmm. well. And bringing in someone to lead the business who seemingly has no Madison Avenue experience, but a lot of Netflix experience in Amy Reinhardt. What's been the reaction you've heard to this move so far? Give me a little uh, inside baseball on this one. Well, it's kind of interesting, right? Obviously, it was, I think a lot of people were, were surprised by a switch so quickly. Again, Jeremy had only been there a little bit over a year. You don't really expect the person you, you hire to be in charge of this big new business that you're trying to build to, to leave within a, you know, in, in, in a year's time. So there was definitely that shock about just the change in general. I think there's an openness from, from the advertising side. It's not that big of a deal. And let me explain that a little bit, right? In that, um, while it was a shock to them, the team that Jeremy and Peter Naylor have built over at Netflix is still there, right? The, the relationships that that team has with the advertising community for a long time is still there, right? Especially with Peter, who quite literally built a streaming ad business already when he was at Hulu, right? So it's, a, it's right. someone who knows how to do this and has had long relationships with, within the advertising community. He was at NBC Universal before before he was at uh, at Hulu. So it wasn't as dramatic as it could have been in a, in a situation like this. But at the same time, you know, uh, Amy, as you said, does not have a background in, in advertising. The logic from the Netflix side also kind of makes sense, right? You, you, again, you're trying to build this gigantic new business. It's a business that you have been averse to for a long, a long time. That requires um, a lot of buy-in uh, to get people moving quickly, to get the business moving quickly, right? Uh, to kind of hit the the ambitions and the targets that you have. And this is not uncommon in tech, where you know you kind of see uh, companies when they have sort of these important business lines go. Let's put one of ours in charge, someone we know, gotcha. someone we trust, someone who gets our culture, right. you know, and how how we kind of operate. And they can kind of be responsible for shepherding this thing and making sure it's growing at the level that we want it to, getting to the place that we want it to be. Uh, Amy's also very interesting in that, like, you know, from the people that I, who have worked with her that I spoke with, she also has a history within Netflix of taking on new roles that she might have not initially been super familiar with, you know, even including her most recent role as overseeing studio operations. So, like, she's proven that she can take on new challenges and be successful in a way that the leadership respects her, the employees over there respect her. So like you can see the logic in, okay, we still have our team here led by Peter, the sales team led by Peter Naylor and in making sure that the, the relationships with the advertising community remain strong and only grow stronger. And then let's have someone that we know, we trust to be in charge of this thing because ultimately we do need this to be moving quicker than it has. It needs to be growing faster than, than it has in the first year. 
Yeah, we saw Peter out this week. He'd been announcing the new ad products. He was the person communicating that to the community. It wasn't Amy doing that, uh, talking mm-hmm. about the new ad, uh, this, this, uh, new sponsor, title sponsorship opportunities and the new things they're rolling out. Well, it was Peter, it was not Amy. So I think you're entirely right there. But, Again, you see it yeah. in tech too, right? Like an example that uh, that's come up a bunch in the past couple of weeks is the person who is in charge of Amazon's advertising business is an Amazon veteran, <laughs> right. does not have an advertising background. He's been at Amazon for a long time, right? I, I remember I did a profile on him a couple of years ago, right, where this man who is in charge of the third biggest digital ad seller in the world, if you asked about him to a lot of people at advertising agencies and marketers, I quite literally got answered where, like, I have no idea who that person is, or I've never <laughs> met that person. Wow. So, like, you kind of, I mean, that's a much more sort of, like, dramatic example, but, like, you do see that happen often. I don't think it's one of, a situation where, like, having one of your own is necessarily a bad thing. You can make it work. It just, you know, this is how they kind of are choosing to go about it in the hopes of making this grow faster than it has in the past year. Yeah. Well, we're on to Amazon, and this is... Uh, frankly, a story I don't know that I'm seeing much uh, talk about. And, uh, and to me, it's just, I, I think this is going to be massive. Like, I think come first quarter, this is going to be like, where did this come from? And I'm like, they told you three months ago, but no one really yeah. understood the, gra- the grasp. The, the big announcement being that Amazon Prime Video is now an ad tier, really. Uh, yeah. Everybody who has a subscription is now getting advertising. If you don't want it, you have to pay an extra few bucks a month, which Again, it will probably not – people's behavior, you're not, generally not going to switch unless you have to. Where Disney, when they launched, they essentially raised the price up and said, if you don't want ads, you have to change. So they mm-hmm. kept that ad-free – you know, uh, the base there at 40 million, 46 million uh, subscribers. And then opt, you, know, you could opt down. And you know, their, their ad tier was, I think, uh, 3.3 million as of the end of Q2. We'll see what yep. the numbers come in for Q3. So you know, growing, but you know, small compared to 46 million or, or the low 40s for the, for the ad free tier at Disney+. Plus. But you know, from an ad buying point of view, you talked about scale when we first you know, started the conversation here. They now have the largest scale in the streaming advertising business for first subscription for the SVOD business. I mean, they're bigger than they'll be bigger than Hulu. We don't know that's the, the ambition, exa- at least. Yeah, I mean, they mm-hmm. do. I mean, you know, we don't know the exact numbers for Amazon Prime Video clearly for the subscription numbers, but you know, Hulu was thought to have about a two third, one third split, two third advertising, one third ad free base, and that's roughly about mm-hmm. twenty seven, maybe up to thirty million people on an ad tier. And the way, you know, in the Nielsen charts, I mean, let's take it for what you will, but Amazon is always generally the third largest amount of viewing every month, every week and every month on that chart below YouTube and then Netflix. And then it's usually Amazon Prime neck and neck with Hulu. So there's a lot of viewership there. Yeah. So this is all going to be new and add to you. This is a huge, huge new competitor where Netflix is building from the ground up. They were at zero and now we're, you know, whatever, probably not, not very large. Disney is at 3.3, but you know, this is a major new player coming in first quarter. So people are competing for mm-hmm. ad, you know, that was ad dollars. This is a, this is a big thing, right? Right. Or am I just, no. or am I just crazy? I mean, yeah, I don't no, know. you're not, you're not, you're not crazy. This is going to be, this is going to be a very, very big thing. It's kind of funny, uh, the Hulu of it all, right? Because, um, you know, Netflix executives publicly have in the past, uh, you know, said in terms of like ambition, they hope to build a business that's bigger than Hulu. That's, the, that's been the top comp, you right. know, really. Yeah. And, you know, Hulu, did more than $3 billion in ad revenue. Again, US alone, right? So right. more than $3 billion in, in, in ad revenue last year. So you kind of have a benchmark of what you're looking for in terms of how big this business could be, at least in, you know, in the near term, um, yep. as things keep, uh, keep on shifting and streaming. Amazon's kind of taking the same approach, but doing it in a much more aggressive manner, right? Probably counting on inertia a little bit. Like, you know, we're just going to make everyone an ad supportive viewer. The people that don't want it, starting in the US, 
you can pay up for it, but we don't know quite know how many people will make make that option, right? I mean, it's kind of interesting that like the unique position they kind of sit in when this when when it comes to this because you're a prime member, so you're probably using it mostly for shopping. Exactly. I'm going to assume. I mean, I'm sure you watch a ton of movies, TV shows, Thursday night football, etc., but like you're probably using it for shopping. Are you really going there and thinking I really need to pay an extra three bucks uh, for an ad-free Prime Video, maybe for some, but I can also see a, see a scenario in which a, a decent number of people don't choose that option, continue to receive the the ads that they do, and like you know the pitch that they've been making to to advertisers, you know, in the first quarter of next year, they're projecting. This is not the same thing as subscribers. I want to be very clear here, okay. right? But the number that they're sharing is you know 115 million viewers in terms of reach, total reach in the U.S. Now, typically when people talk, you know, when any of these platforms talk about viewers, the assumption is one subscription equals multiple viewers. Right, because a viewer, exactly. Yeah. Subscription, subscriptions does not equal viewers. It just be, that, that's the clear thing, yeah. The last time Netflix reported a figure like that, they said, you know, they had 10 million viewers. Exactly. Right, but that does not mean 10, 10 million paying subscribers. That's and no one really numbers. knows... Yeah, no one really knows what math each company does. Right. One company might be, you know, one subscription equals 1.5 viewers, <laughs> right. one, yeah. two, yeah. whatever. Yeah. But the number that they're coming out with is 115 million million viewers, which is a pretty sizable number. It's massive. Just on its own, right? Um, and I'm glad you pointed out the, the Nielsen charts because uh, the other big element about this is not just how many people are signed up to this, but what kind of usage are you getting, right? Because advertisers right. care about that as well. If you're only going on Prime Video once a week to watch an episode of Jack Ryan or Lord of the Rings, but then you never go back and watch anything else. It's not a valuable uh, customer there, yeah. Not as valuable, you know, un, you know as someone who's, on hours every day, or at least out many hours per week. Yep. And, you know, at least in the U.S., Prime Video has as much usage as Hulu. I mean, I think the most recent Nielsen gauge number, they both had 3.6%, right? Yep, yep. Smaller than Netflix, smaller than YouTube, but still but up there. bigger than Max, bigger than Peacock, bigger and, than everybody else I mean, out there. Just very logically, if Hulu can have a $3 billion ad business in the U.S. with 3.6% of usage, um, right. what's not to say that, Amazon can't get there very quickly. I mean, that's the way they're going about it. You know, and I don't, I'm not saying one way, one approach is better than the other. Um, I think you can also, going back to our earlier conversation, I think there would have been a lot more blowback if Netflix had taken the option of like, everyone gets ads and then you got to pay. I mean, certainly, yes, of course. Yeah, way different situation. I don't think people are as precious with Prime Video Yep. generally, probably, than they are uh, with sort of the Netflix experience. So, you know, there's different approaches. So it will be interesting to see, you know, how quickly they are able to get to the, the you know, the, the destination that they're aiming for. Yeah, I mean, they could be sucking up a lot of dollars that, you know, do you want to buy three to five million subs on Netflix? Or do you want to buy, you know, how many, exp- you know, 150 million, whatever it might be on yeah. Amazon? If you're advertised looking for reach, if you're, and the big advertisers, if you're working at State Farm, if you're whatever, like, you know, you want to have scale there. You don't want to have somebody to get right. 3 million people, right? You know, or 5 million people. The one sort of like caveat there is uh, obviously, um, you know, they have Thursday Night Football. And right. this year, it, the ratings are much better than they were last year. So that's growing for them, you know, and the NFL is yeah. happy with it. For you know, from all we know, from all, all we're told, Amazon is happy with how it's kind of progressing. You know, so like they have, you know, the most valuable piece of programming in television uh, on their on their streaming platform. Outside of that, it's hard to see 
in terms of what other like big hits that they have, right? Uh, Jury Duty was very popular, but that was a freebie show, but it was also available on Prime Video. But right. that was the first show that kind of se- broke through in a way on that streaming service, right? Um, you know, they put a lot of money into Lord of the Rings um, and it seemed to get viewership, but it doesn't seem to have any kind of cultural resonance in the way that like Game of Thrones, which was, which was airing at the same time, yeah, did. Yeah, yeah. Again, that's not to say that people aren't watching those, that people aren't watching the Jack Ryan show or Reacher. Well, they also have a massive library of studio content. You know, a view is a view. You know, like it doesn't matter if they're watching Jack Ryan or whether they're watching, uh, you know, a a Pixar movie from 2011. Like it doesn't matter to an advertiser in a sense. Absolutely. I mean, to a most degree. You know, yeah. yeah. Advertisers also do want to be next to the hit show that everyone's talking about, you know? So like. Sure. No, hits always. Yes, it's important to be next I, to hits. Yeah. I don't think it's. I don't think it's one of those things where like it's gonna like hurt them, right? But right, it's right. something that they'll have to kind of focus on. Like we need to have more things that people are talking about and watching, yep. uh, because that's that's gonna drive greater investment. That's gonna drive being able to charge higher CPMs if you want it to, and advertisers coming on board. So like you're starting off in a very good position, and there's a lot of things by being Amazon that put you in that good position. But you know it's. There's still things that they'll need to figure out to make this ultimately as successful as they hope it can be. Yeah, when you add in advertising, hits become more important. Jack Ryan has been probably their biggest hit, at least from a Nielsen point of view, and that's now done. So, you know, that's also not coming back. So 2024, the programming group definitely has a a much different mandate uh, than they've had before uh, as well. So exactly Mm -hmm. right. But a big key here, of course, is to round out the Amazon conversation. You know, Amazon is a lot of existing relationships with uh, advertisers. So, mm-hmm. you know, uh, where Netflix was starting from from page one, Amazon has a long history of this. The NFL, they've had two years of, of, of A-list advertising relationships now. So they're coming in pretty hot, you know, uh, in right. this new new era, right? Right, yeah. I mean, look, you know, they they have a fire TV advertising business that they've been, you know, doing for years. You know, uh, they have Freevee, which right, has gone... Right, fire TV, of course, right. They've been selling through there as well. Yeah. Right, uh, and Freevee, which has gone through multiple Freebie name changes, and, and, but has been around and Twitch, Twitch even. Twitch, yep. So th- that's a fair point, yeah. You know, and like, you know, they have, you know, a big focus for them for a while now has been expanding their own ad business more and more into video and television because yep. that's where the growth right now is and they want to be a big player in that space as well. And, you know, Thursday Night Football helps. Prime Video, turning ads on in Prime Video will really help. So yeah, yeah, to your point, like they are starting off much more further along than Netflix was at least. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I guess what's the state of average streaming video advertising right now? I think the commonly held wisdom is that there's more demand from advertisers than there is available slops available. But, you know, anybody who watches something on streaming, if you watch three episodes of a series, you're seeing the same four ads all over again. Mm-hmm. And it's like, uh, this doesn't equate in terms of demand. If so many people are asking for ads, why am I seeing the same four ones all the time? Um, what is your take on the demand for this inventory right now? You know, linear's been challenged and the strike's affecting a lot of that. And the dollars have reportedly been shifting over to this, you know, to streaming video. But what, what's mm-hmm. your take on this at this point uh, here in late 2024? Yeah, you know, like the the shift is definitely happening. Uh, you can look at sort of any forecast or, or research that comes out that demonstrates that. Uh, the one I kind of go to often, um, you know, Group M, world's biggest ad buying firm in terms of how much they actually spend for clients. They had a mid year forecast, and I, I actually pulled the numbers up here. You know, like according to their estimates, CTV or connected TV revenue in twenty three is going to be about. $25.9 billion. Uh, okay. That's a 13.2% increase from the previous year. So it's growing. It's, it's growing meaningfully, but $25.9 billion is anywhere from what 30 to 40% of what 
typically gets assigned to traditional TV in the U.S. alone. Okay. You know? So, yeah. like, in terms of how big the TV ad market is. So, like, there's a lot of room to still grow and a huge and take, gap and to take close. dollars. Yeah. And the expectation, really, for most people in the market is you're probably going to see something around, like, a 10% shift from traditional TV to streaming every year, right? So it's going to grow, but it's going to grow at that kind of like 10% rate. So, you know, if you look at Group M's forecast by 2028, it's like $42.5 billion business. This is going to take some time. You can't ignore what I would argue probably the biggest gorilla in the room when it comes to advertising, which is YouTube. Of course, like, of course yeah. Which is YouTube, owned, of course, you know, by Google, so Amazon competitor. So yeah, Amazon has that in mind too. People spend more time on watching YouTube on their TV sets in the US than they do Netflix. And that has been the case for months now, you know, um, and YouTube competes in the same television upfront as all the other guys do. And YouTube commands this, you know, I did a story on this a few months ago, the uh, amount of ad commitments in terms of spending commitments that YouTube gets in the upfront is like the same as what a Disney gets, what an NBC Universal gets. They are, they oh, wow. are right there huh. competing. And now, you know, they're doing things like getting Sunday ticket, right? So you can't ignore them as a giant like competitor in this market where it really gets interesting. And I've had a few like top sort of chief investment officer types say this to me from big ad agencies. You will get some kind of like, if you're Amazon, you will get a certain kind of like floor. Like this is, we know we're going to be spending this much on you. And it could be the same level that they're spending on a Hulu or another major ad supported streaming service. But once you get to there, growing market share after that is going to be much more difficult. Hmm. Like, because after you get to that to that base, you know, if I give you a dollar, who am I taking that dollar away from? Right. Disney? I have a long history with Disney. I still want to be on ESPN and their other networks or do things at Disney World. Like, that's where it gets really, really, really interesting in terms of how all of these services are going to fight it out to kind of steal market share from each other. So Amazon's also kind of doing some interesting tactics in their pitch. Uh, they're asking for a lot of money um, from advertisers, which is uh, mm-hmm. but you did a whole piece on this this week, which is which is great. I recommend to read it over the information. But uh, what are they? What are the? I don't know. Maybe not strong arm tactics, but they're coming out pretty big in their asks. No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, I've heard uh, everything from aggressive to. Ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> this is from this is from the advertising community this saying the, this, yeah, by the way. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So that means something. But you know, I, I think it speaks more to their ambitions behind it. I mean, they have meetings with advertisers. I've been told. You know, they have basically said like, we think we this will be bigger than Hulu. This is not just an Amazon thing. Every tech company, you know, I mean, YouTube is has historically true, been true. very aggressive in their in their asks. The sentiment I've gotten from you know. Well, pretty much everyone uh, I've spoken with is it's twofold, right? It's Amazon's going to get advertisers to commit. Probably not at the numbers they're looking for right now, but it's still going to be a meaningful number because Amazon is that important and it's that big, right? Right. Um, they'll arrive at some number that both sides are probably going to be happy with. The timing is also, you know, was called out by, uh, by, by some people I spoke with, right? Because this year's upfront is closed. Right. So, yeah, you have money in the scatter, but like the, in terms of like future commitments, that's booked, you know, for Q4, Q1 of next year, Q2. And the way Amazon's going about it, you know, they want this starting with Q1 because, you know, the, the plan is to launch ads within Prime Video sometime in Q1 early in the year. Where's the money going to come from? It's already been committed, you know, to Disney Plus, to, to Netflix. Again, it, I, I don't think anyone's saying that like Amazon's not going to succeed here, you know, uh, but 
it's more along the lines of like, how long will it take? You know, um, the other thing, you know, just to go back to the conversation we had around usage, you know, some advertisers called that out to me as well. Like we want to see once we have more evidence and proof about what usage looks like in an ad supported prime video, obviously that's going to determine how spending goes towards the platform as well. So like, I don't doubt that Amazon will collect some nice ad commitments as they launch this next year. It seems like it probably won't be at the initial asks they have right now in these early meetings. Um, and then over time, they probably will. It's hard to see them not in some way being a, a legitimate rival to yeah. Hulu, YouTube, hopefully Netflix, if it can get to that point. Yeah. <laughs> get around there. Yeah. Yeah. The most interesting thing is it's going to be so competitive. Yeah. Uh, and we're just beginning this is just, to enter this, that. This is really just the start of a new phase here. Yeah. It feels like. And I yeah. think that's where it gets, I think, really interesting. Uh, yeah. No matter what, I think it's, that's exactly uh, the way to put it, where, you know, I think if, if subscribers was the term of uh, the 2010s, I think advertising is going to be definitely the shift and the focus and the conversation uh, for at least the next, you know, maybe three to five years of, of the streaming yeah. business at this point. Sahil Patel of The Information, uh, how can people find you to uh, get in touch with all their advertising scoops? Where do people find you? Uh, on Twitter or X, I still prefer to call it Twitter. Uh, it's <laughs> Siz Patel, S-I-Z Patel uh, on that platform. Or hit me up on LinkedIn. LinkedIn is cool now. Everyone loves LinkedIn. So. <laughs> I'm a big LinkedIn guy. This is not, yeah, you know, it's fun. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Sahil, thanks so much for joining and sharing your thoughts from Madison Avenue and the world of streaming. Good to see you. Thanks, Sean. All right. Well, that's a wrap for uh, this week's Ankler podcast. Remember to follow The Ankler on the socials at The Ankler and uh, subscribe to The Ankler at TheAnkler.com for the full suite of newsletters and podcasts. And of course, subscribe. Elaine is still going strong over at Strikegeist. Uh, still over 160,000 people out on strike. Totally free. You can subscribe at Strikegeist.com. And Elaine, uh, picket lines are still going very strong in LA. I'm uh, I'm back in New York here, but uh, I assume that's the case out there. Folks are still out on the picket lines. Uh, SAG's negotiating committee was out on Thursday uh, for Captain Appreciation Day. And I uh, would always love to hear from folks, hear what they're going through, hear what's on their minds. I'm at Elaine at TheAnkler.com. There you go. Uh, Thank you all for listening. Of course, Richard and Elaine, a pleasure as always. And uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. 